to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Kat. And I'm Rich. I'm a man, Peter. I've got an ocean of testosterone flowing through my veins. Society tells us to act civilized, but the truth is we're animals and sometimes you gotta let it out. Try it. I'm not gonna start screaming in the middle of the Venice boardwalk. Come on, man. Silly. Indulge me. Ah! That was, that was really good. Now gently remove your tampon and try again. Ah! Ah! In this episode, we're freeloading Rosemary Flatbread Paninis with 2009's bass slapping bromance I Love You Man, directed and co written by John Hamburg, who had had huge success penning the scripts for Meet the Parents and Zoolander. This movie was the third collaboration for Jason Siegel and Paul Rudd. We'd previously worked together on the films Knocked Up and Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Tonight we'll be discussing the unlikely connection between Sydney and Peter. Does this relationship touch on a kind of rush lots of us look for in our lives? Or should we be content with a summer salad and chocolat? You're not fucking French, Pete. It's called chocolate. It's quite normal to have a lot of female friends, you know, and we'll talk about in past and future episodes about having close friends of, of an opposite gender where they are perfectly platonic and there's never any anything going on there. But it's still an interesting boat to be in because suddenly there's this pressure to have groomsmen because it's an American film wedding. So everyone ha- everything has to be big and glamorous and wonderful and have groomsmen and stuff. So yeah. to have to make that decision to get a, a new friend because it's really difficult. It's You kind of wonder how you'd go about it in real life, almost like, forcing a platonic friendship because for romantic relationships there's whole industries and life and everything's kind of geared towards generating these connections whereas for platonic friends it's kind of not really so much I mean they happen but you know trying to engineer it and especially when you've got the time pressure of a wedding where you need to have that god that's, that's a lot of pressure do you think that in in reality Peter's just someone that would have had a wedding and his best man actually would have been a woman and it just would it maybe would have been a friend from work? Um, possibly, I think, or, or his mum or something. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm sure that happens where people have best people, best person. Um, it doesn't have to be of the same gender or anything. But no, it's, it's it's a weird kind of scenario because the way that Zoe describes him to her friends is that he's this kind of perfect boyfriend slash fiancé who always makes... Like when he walks in on them having their girly night and then brings them sort of a tray of, was it root beer floats... Yeah, which I really, I've decided I'm going to try and make one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, root beer tastes like medicine. Though. Oh, does it? Oh, okay. Or Coke. I'm still going to try. Yeah, okay. And yeah, and, and he comes in, he, oh, what I've got, and there's obviously implications that come out later that he's perhaps more giving and not receiving of certain, yeah, yeah. certain bedroom activities mm. that um, becomes an issue thanks to Sydney's outing of it. Um, and again, you know, like Zoe shares everything with her friends because she has this circle of friends and he doesn't really. But um, it's an interesting dilemma that he has because 
it's, it's kind of probably quite normal to put yourself in that position and think, oh, thank God, you know, I've got this friend who I've known for 20 years because we met, albeit in a very strange way, but it wasn't forced, it wasn't planned, there wasn't a reason why we became friends, we just did. Um, so, yeah, so it's, a, it's a strange kind of flip of the kind of, I suppose, either people, I'm sure I've seen movies where people are desperate for a date for a wedding or something like that, but today it's actually The, be- the Best Man, which is a, a nice novel twist. Yes, completely. And I really, I think it's, a, you know, you, ha- you have the movie starting with that quite saccharine scene of the of them having the proposal, you know, and her accepting and then following up that that kind of sentimentality with having them in the car and her calling her friends and her friends um, having having that um, chat with her about about where, you know, where the two of them had sex and the fact that um, uh, Peter is very generous in bed, therefore she should lock him down. <laughs> <laughs> I always think that's... that's uh, that's funny, and I think that that's quite good actually as a, as a way to kind of kick the film off because um, yeah, that's pre bridesmaids, and I always think that scene actually could have come out of something like bridesmaids, couldn't it? Where they're kind of showing that women, when you get them together, can sometimes be, have have the same kind of chats that maybe guys would. Um, the the only thing about it is that I think that there's probably been heaps of relationships where it's been a given that the women are gonna put in more effort in bed than the men are and in this in this film you know you feel so you feel so happy for Zoe but then <laughs> but then she gets put in her place very publicly <laughs> no I'm only joking I think it's um yeah what do you think about all of that <laughs> which bit <laughs> well it's it's interesting isn't it to have the I suppose to have uh, a movie so explicitly talk about how sometimes even in the happiest of relationships there might be little things that are going on or maybe they could be big things that are that are sort of causing a little bit of resentment and how sometimes you do need a friend to be able to kind of air that because you don't you need a sort of safe ground don't you you don't want to necessarily kind of throw throw that into the relationship of saying oh I'm, I'm feeling resentful because you're not doing this thing so it's quite good isn't it to have someone that you can kind of talk to about that kind of thing and then they can they can kind of tell you how they feel about it what do you think yeah I mean J- Jason Siegel is is great as Sydney in that with Paul Rudd's character they are I mean they're, they're deliberately different but they're not outwardly like they're they're not boorish and and they're not so wildly opposite it's unlikely and I think that from the beginning it's it's Sydney's honesty that appeals to Peter and to to everyone else the the way he seems to be good at spotting people and and be open about you know going to the open house and he's getting like I'm not interested in buying it I'm just here for the food um yeah and and, uh, well admittedly to, to score a cougar was it I think was what he was looking for divorcees yeah. but um I, and i think as you say sometimes having that inadvertent comment about give it back i think it was one of the, <laughs> yeah. the things and i mean yeah imagine having that at your engagement party be uh told by someone you've never met i know i know wow. i mean um yeah poor poor old zoe and then you have the. I mean, it's a. It's a. They. 
even though it's it's quite you know in in, in some ways this film is sort of like quite quite a conventional film there are moments because of him doing that it causes them then to have a chat on in the car on the way back about what has made her reticent about doing mm. that kind of thing and that's really interesting in that, that little moment between them you think oh you quite you quite rarely see people have those kind of chats in in a movie like this it's sort of you know that thing where someone's sort of saying i i don't like this thing because of a certain thing that happened in my previous relationship and you think every everyone will have versions of that where something that they're kind of badly affected by something that's happened to them before has had a bit of a knock-on effect on something so i think i think that's quite good in terms of you finding out a little bit about her too but um yeah, you've, it's quite good, isn't it? The way you see Peter dating the different guys <laughs> before he finds Sydney in the same way that you'd see in a in a rom com, and and I think that's that's another thing about it that's quite good because, as you say, even though there's this pressure on him to find a best man friendships are similar to romantic relationships in the sense that you can't just be sort of friends with anyone you know like there has to be a certain amount of stuff that clicks or or just kind of you know just sort of natural chemistry between people isn't it to just be able to hang out in a way that isn't stressful yeah because the and the circumstances as well they they are geared slightly for comedy effect in the way that when he goes on the we'll call them mandates because that's what they call in the film but um when he meets the old guy in the diner who has a photo from 50 years previously you know this this sweet old guy mel steen mel stein and um and then he goes on he goes to the football match with uh what's it called call him elmo the guy with the voice yeah and that's weird because again from an english point of view you know going to a football match with someone especially someone that you might not necessarily know that well, it becomes, it is quite a, you know, like on a, a romantic date, you might go to the cinema, you might go to a, you know, for, for dinner or drinks or, or a comedy night or something like that. Going to football is like a, a real thing where you could actually see, and, and if, you're, if you're there and, and the guy that you're there with is a loudmouth arsehole, yeah, it's gonna put you right off because, I mean, I go to football a lot and I see mm. the loud man vassals a lot, and you're just kind of think, sitting there thinking, God, his poor mates having to sit next to him, but then they must <laughs> they must tolerate it, they must know that about them. But if that's your first mandate, then it's uh, it's very weird. And of course, then the the confusion with um, the guy who thinks he's on an actual date and they have their sweet tender kiss at the valet stand. Uh, yes. which leads to some hilarity further down the line. But it's um, it's a weird kind of sort of journey that, that Peter goes on. And it's hard to think of anyone in 2009 or you know later who could have done this role any better than Paul Rudd, genuinely. What do you think? Paul Rudd is, is a good-looking guy and he's got a lot of natural charm and he's playing this incredibly affable person and and he's he's obviously he's he's obviously someone that doesn't have any problem getting a girlfriend he's a relationship kind of guy uh but paul rudd manages to with all of that still bring out all of this incredibly convincing 
just elements of awkwardness and uh, little bits of vulnerability and and these kind of clumsy moments that I think, you know, the re- this is sort of why he's so popular as an actor. I think it's because uh, so many so many uh, actors i think maybe get kind of trained because of because of how they're being directed and stuff you know they get trained out of kind of not utilizing those things because so many of the characters we see in things aren't meant to you know have awkwardness or if they do have awkwardness it's meant to be in a much more sort of exaggerated way whereas there's something about the way he does it and it always looks as if it might there might be a little bit of improvisation going on there i think that you know Judd Apatow has used him really well in that way too where yeah i mean it is a little bit we did an episode on the apartment and it, there are elements of Paul Rudd that do remind me a little bit of Jack Lemon in that way. Mm. That thing of yeah, the intrinsic kind of intrinsic goodness, but at the same time, you sort of seeing that a character can be held back by their own lack of confidence. Um, and when you contrast that to, to say Jason Siegel, who could you know his character could quite easily be overdone into almost like an oaf, this kind of slovenly quite out outgoing guy who can probably and you know we see it a couple of times you know when he he kind of starts fights with people after he doesn't pick up after his dog and starts a fight with Lou Ferrigno because why wouldn't you but um (laughs) you know again that that was just you know he just kept it on the side of kind of nice and again it worked really well when had that been cast differently and could have you know without chucking names around it would have suddenly become far too far-fetched that they would become friends so quickly. You know, and because you have to bear in mind as well, because he's a single guy in a film and Zoe has a perennially single friend yeah. who's a bit of a pastiche of her own, they, of course, have to be set up on the world's most awkward golf date. But um, they, they seem to hit it off a little bit. But, uh, yeah, then yeah. she gets off with Elmo at the wedding. <laughs> no, that's a that's a more that's a more inventive yes. development. I mean, I think that's where the film, I I think, falls down a little bit on the way they they don't put as much effort into really, you know. Fl- I mean, I know that it's it's not about that, but at the same time, as you say, there's something about Haley as the single friend where you think that kind of they have a character that's kind of playing up to all the tropes of being. Single, and you think you know Sydney is single, but his thing isn't that he's single. His thing is that he's Sydney. Mm. Whereas when you have the you know when you have Haley, her thing is that she's single, and you think actually that doesn't really that doesn't really it that is something that you sort of see in rom coms. It isn't really true to life when you meet people. Their their defining characteristic isn't really ever their romantic status, if you know what I mean. It's just who who they are. So just take her out for a cup of coffee or something. Taking her out for a cup of coffee? What do you, why, why don't you take the boys to fucking Starbucks and play poker? Because it's poker night here. It's always poker night here. Yeah, that's my best friend. I'm not leaving her, ever. How about that? She can stay here for five years if she wants to. You're interested to look at cheerleader night for my life. Fine. Get the fuck out of here. But I do really like Denise and her husband, though. They are absolutely <laughs> fantastic. John Favreau. Yeah. Very, very um, hot and steamy and passionate in their own way, aren't they? Yes, I think they're very convincing as a couple. I, I think that all of their bits, uh, I, I feel as if I, they, I mean, they don't have a massive amount of screen time, but I completely feel as if I know them as a couple. And um, 
And I think you kind of need them in the movie because I think there's something about Peter and Zoe as a couple where even though you can see that they're content together, you can kind of tell that it's quite early on in their relationship and you don't really quite know how they as a couple are going to turn out. Do you know what I mean? You can't imagine them necessarily. You don't know what their specific dynamic might be 20 years down the line. Yeah. But there's something about Denise and her, her husband, the way they're so, <laughs> they're so defined already that's kind of brilliant. <laughs> I, I find like Zoe, for instance, some of the way that, that she comes across is that she is almost not living inside her shell a little bit, but there's a lot of stuff the way that, I mean, they've only been together for, was it eight or nine months? I think something like that. Yeah. And the way that she kind of talks to him a couple of times is that, oh, please don't say that. It's almost like a sort of sixth or seventh date where he's like, oh, I don't like that. And and they're still getting to know each other where he's, yeah. he's still trying to work out what the kind of line is with a particular joke, for example. Yes. Um, she talks to him a little bit as if he's seven sometimes in this movie. What do you think? Yeah, she's... Oh, no, honey. Oh, did you did you mess up on your shoe? There's a, there's yeah. quite a lot of that tone between them. There is know? a little bit. It's like, yeah. oh, look at my look at my man. He's going off trying to make some friends like his first day at school. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, then, and then, like, then when the Sydney thing, and, of course, this Sydney friendship is a whirlwind. It, it comes up very quickly and very strong, and, you know, they spend all this time together and stuff. And, and like, when they go to the Rush concert, for example, and she's very much the third wheel there. Um, and it, it must be difficult. I mean, I, I, it's hard to really say because I, I don't really know much about Rush. Um, I used to work with a guy who loved Rush. Oh, but, really? Yeah, weirdly. Yeah. And that was, he's the only person I know who's really made a big thing about liking them. But I suppose if you're doing that and taking, you know, because he wants to take his fiance along because they've been going out for eight months, of course they want to do everything together. Yeah, it's it, it's a strange then to to change that dynamic because normally it might be the friend who's kind of feeling a bit left out because he's with the couple, but all of a sudden it's his fiance who's feeling left out because they're like licking each other's fingers or <laughs> yeah. um, which must be weird to see to be honest. But um, <laughs> no, it must be. But yeah, she she does seem a little bit like I don't know, not not. I'm trying to think of a, an acceptable word, but. They do seem a little bit like still they're still getting to know each other. Yeah. And they haven't let yet kind of got into that position where they're fully immersed. Yes. They're still a little bit tentative. Are they in a bit of a boring relationship, do you think? Considering how early on it is. They've really settled into a lot of stuff, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, it's the stuff that you would do. Totally. But not, it's not a tradition after eight months. Completely. It sounds like, you know, Sunday evenings with HBO. <laughs> yeah, a bit of product placement there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and all this stuff about, you know, what, and it sounds like it's very early to be set, and bear in mind they're living together as well. Oh, yeah. They're very quick to, to settle into a routine. Very quick. Um, do they date? Do they go on a date at all? Do we see them on a date? I don't. They. I think they're mainly they're mainly in their house. Yeah, aren't they're they? kind of yeah. at events or at doing at their house, but they're not 
actually they haven't gone out as a as a pair. Yeah. Um, you know, the first we meet them that he's proposing to her in a car park. Yeah, and I saw that in his cubicle at work he has a picture up of her and her two best mates. And I thought, like, for for that early in a relationship, that's quite striking. What's going on over there? Oh, this is where I jerk off. And, uh, <laughs> uh, condoms? I wear them when I masturbate. When Sydney talks about his, this must be very weird to Peter, like his masturbation station. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah let's get this into podcast, this. <laughs> this podcast is supposed to be about relationships and lovely things. And anyone listening to this as their first episode, they go, oh, I thought they'd be really drilling down to a romantic relationship when we talk about a <laughs> masturbation station. Well, this is well. Th- these are all parts of relationships, aren't they? And, and life. Yeah, with mm. oneself and with other people. <laughs> I'm sure there's an episode that we'll do at some point where it's one's relationship with oneself. Yeah, the conversation that he has with um, with Peter about how he used a picture of his own girlfriend. I always think that that's quite a that is a very funny bit of dialogue. Is the reason why it's funny because it is kind of putting its finger on something that's true? I suppose it shows him as this sweet guy who's dedicated to his girlfriend because in it, in a lot of people's minds, they probably think that that is cheating in some way. Yes. Or it's, you yeah. know, and, and to him, he's so in love with this attractive woman. Her attractiveness is irrelevant, I know. But yeah. um, he's so in love with her that that's what, he feels like, you know, if he's going to do that, then why not with his soon-to-be wife? Um, yes. I mean, it's strange. <laughs> Just there's my opinion. But it's, um, it's definitely something that is a conversation piece because I don't think many people would admit to doing it. People yes. might, you know, I suppose if in these days of sending you know, if you're in a long distance relationship or you're working away or whatever, then, you know, people might send each other pictures and stuff now that that's an easy thing to do. And obviously there's elements of that that are risque and, and some people might not feel comfortable about doing that kind of stuff. But it's something that happens. Yeah, and it's easier to do with phones and stuff, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I guess if in that circumstance it's fine, but then if she doesn't, I don't know, does she know about it? Um, is, is this a consensual... <laughs> Thing. Do, you, do you need consent for that? I don't know. The wank station touches on <laughs> something about this movie that I think is really interesting, which is that in terms of the mainstream, and I'm not talking about independent films, but like the mainstream rom-coms that I've seen over the last 10, 15 years, I think that it's more successful than quite a few of the ones that I've seen and I was thinking about why that is and I think that maybe part of it I mean it's in the writing and in the performances as as we're talking about but also there's something about the idea of friendship rather than romantic love between men and women that frees you up to explore some stuff that's both funny but also true and kind of you know, fresh that maybe sometimes when we're doing, um, you know, when we're, when we're watching some of these more conventional rom-coms, it's stuff that has to be kind of shoved under the carpet a bit. 
Whereas this, and I think that 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 great scene about the wank station has in it, it's not just about, you know, who do you fantasize about when you're left alone? There's also bits about Sydney asking Peter why he told Zoe that he was um, skiving off work, you know, and then they have a bit of a kind of chat about which bits of information you share with your other half and which bits you might not. And, you know, and there's that whole discussion. And I think, you know, all of that stuff is just really interesting because it means that you're able to talk much more frankly, aren't you, about just um, autonomy and kind of your own sort of personal freedom while also being in a romantic relationship. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff that's really hard to explore, isn't it, in a more conventional rom-com? Yeah. And I think as well, because this is a view of one angle of things, because there's another rom-com from a different dimension where it is the Peter and Zoe show. Yeah. There's also the the angle of Zoe and her friends watching this relationship develop from the other side, where it's both funny and then gets a bit weird. And then ultimately Zoe's the hero because she's the one who kind of extends the olive branch. Yes. Um, after seeing Peter retreat into himself and, and have to fall back on as was described as the weirdest bunch of groomsmen ever. (laughs) Um, I love that. I love that they all turn up at the wedding at the end. That really warms my heart because there's a part of me that feels sorry for all the guys that have been knocked back at the beginning because you think, oh, and I especially like the fact that the elderly gentleman is there. Yeah. That's great. That's really good. (laughs) It's it's good that in that way it shows that (laughs) it shows that in the, the way that these dates don't work out, but they're still friends at the end of it. So yeah. <laughs> there's also that rom-com side of it where exactly even the guy who kissed him and he later finds them together in the, the clothes shop and calls him a whore. It's, <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it's just so strange that, and, and again, you know, having, having been, you know, a middle-aged guy or, or these aren't middle-aged yet, I'm just old. And, um, but that, this is the kind of weird bubble you live in where, you know, if you go and if I got offered a spare ticket for a football match, for example, with someone and I didn't enjoy spending time with them, I'm not going to go to their wedding, but then I'm not, I'm clearly not the bigger man here. Um, (laughs) You know, a friend of mine I went to football with last week, you know, we got on, we're not best mates, but you know, we went to football and we had fun together. Yeah, you know, like a mandate in a way. That's great. I mean, I think that another thing about having a rom-com with friendship at the centre as well is that I think it really frees you up to be... Well, the thing is, I think maybe in in romantic comedies in the conventional sense there's very often this subtle sort of implication that for a man and a woman to get together and for it to work, they've got to have a sort of civilizing influence on each other. Like, you know, that they're both meant to be kind of calming each other down. And Mm. I think that was one thing that was quite interesting about our episode on Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, was that that was one of the relationships we watched where we thought, oh, actually... The fact that they're going to have another go at this relationship, you, you don't, you're not really assured that it will be any less tempestuous or any more, um, you know, easy to deal with. But they're going to do it anyway. And um, I think that something about 
this that's really good is that you're you know you're never led to believe that Sydney is going to solve all of the problems in Peter's life or make him feel a hundred percent better about everything. Sydney is Sydney. He gets to bring what he wants to bring to the table and then other people in Peter's life can can you know be there for him in other ways and I was thinking you know it's it's a real shame I think that in more conventional romantic comedies we don't have that attitude towards characters a little bit more where you know just because someone's going to be your husband or your wife it doesn't mean that they're gonna be the person that you can turn to for everything no. do you know what I mean yeah you, you need to have that otherwise you'd be Peter and Zoe would be really boring. I mean, they'd have very, they very beautiful children, but um, <laughs> yeah, they just seem so. It sounds awful to call them dull, but it's a very. I don't know. I mean, what would they argue about other than she doesn't give certain things? Yeah, or, or and even then, they don't talk about it until Sydney comes along. Exactly. Um, there's a lot of repressed <laughs> issues there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that's the that's the strange thing about it is that even though Denise and her husband have this tempestuous relationship where they row and then they have really loud makeup sex and and you sort of see them being kind of quite a sort of verbally verbally abusive to each other. There's something there's something about their di- dynamic that on some level I kind of find a bit more reassuring than Peter and Zoe's purely because it feels more real to me and and like something that you, you, we all may have seen in couples that have been together for a long time to varying degrees. I'm not saying that we all know a couple like that. But you know what I mean? There'll be moments where you think, "Oh yeah, I've kind of seen an element of that before in in a, in a relationship." Yeah. Is there one scene, I think it was the one where Zoe came to their house and he was meant to have poker night and she kind of said it's my best friend she trumps your fucking poker night and then (laughs) and then when he says okay we'll go out but you wear a cheerleader outfit tonight (laughs) (laughs) that kind of stuff or we do it with the lights on tonight (laughs) and bear in mind again that they are it is billed as they are a pairing of very opposite physical benefits or whatever you know yeah yeah sydney calls her the the the, was it he calls barry the the one with the smoking hot wife yes Um, yeah and again you know we 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 see that that's yeah i mean maybe exaggerated but it's fairly probably quite normal to a point i think oh yeah hey so you guys want to um like get some grub or grab a beer or something we're actually heading up to joshua tree tonight oh yeah Oh, what's going on up there? We're just doing this thing for Eugene, you know, kind of a bachelor party slash camping trip kind of thing, you know. I didn't even know you were getting married. Yeah, taking a leap next Sunday. Great. <laughs> Dirty little slut. Whoa, He's going to lose his virginity finally. <laughs> I've fucked my girlfriend. He's kidding. <laughs> right on. Very cool. Very, very cool. That's cool. The whole fencing thing, that's clearly like a hobby that he's got, you know, with these guys that he's not 100% mates with fencing just seems to be like a weird like it's been put in there yes the kind of it's a hobby that's a little bit niche um it's guys sword fighting in a weird way but um yeah that's the sort of thing where you kind of think he would he's already in that circle and yet they kind of get him to go there to make more friends and suddenly he finds that everyone's already in a kind of friendship circle that he's not part of 
Yeah, well, they make that point, don't they? I think I think it's his brother that says that he's always put all of his energy into his romantic relationships, mm. and so it doesn't he sort of bops out of these social situations with other people. I think it's uh, actually that that scene with him after the fencing with the guys is really good because it sort of makes that point that you know if you just if you suddenly decide that you want a new friend, you can't just go and decide that you're more intimate with one of the people that you already know than you actually are like you actually have to have done the kind of um i don't want to use the word work but you know what i mean you've got to have actually invested in that relationship you can't just expect to be on that kind of footing with someone just because you've decided that you want a new friend and i think that that scene makes that point really clearly and then you also have the scene don't you later on with sydney and his friends when they all have to go off to their various commitments, whether it be like marking exam papers, I think one of them's got, and then one of them has to go back to their family. And I think that they show you quite effectively how both Sydney and Peter aren't actually in in massively different situations in that respect. They're both in a bit of a um, stage of life where they've got friends or, or they know people who've got other stuff going on. And so they're both feeling a little bit vulnerable on that front. Mm. and um and i think that's really good because one of them is about to get married and one of them is single and i think that sometimes we're sort of led to believe that you can only feel lonely if you're out of a romantic relationship but they have peace of being in a really happy romantic relationship but still feeling an element of loneliness and um i think that's that's quite a good thing to pinpoint isn't it because otherwise people who are in couples who sometimes might feel the need for a friend or just like another outlet outside the couple, they might feel that there's something wrong with them or something lacking in their relationship. When in actual fact, it could just be that they, you know, they just want, they want friendship and that's okay. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your relationship. No, not at all. Although it's, it's quite interesting to, you wonder because when you see the way that Peter behaves, he makes all these really awkward attempts at jokes and one-liners, <laughs> that most of which are dreadful and clearly stumbling over his own tongue and things like that. You wonder how he and Zoe got together. This isn't, and, and bear in mind, this pod isn't supposed to be about him and Zoe, it's him and, him, him and Sydney, but you do kind of wonder, because Sydney finds it amusing and tolerates it, even though one of them, he said, I'll let it go despite that last comment. <laughs> Um, and yet Zoe just sort of looks at him like he's some kind of nerd. But is that because is that sort of meant to be making the point that guys are sometimes a little bit more intimidated by the idea of how they're meant to be presenting themselves as a guy? Whereas if you got in in the mode of yeah spending spending time with the opposite sex and sort of being in that kind of dating mode or relationship mode, then then you know you get comfortable playing that role. But then when you have to kind of switch roles and go into a different kind of thing, you can just, I mean, don't you have that? Do you ever have a thing where you feel like in one, when you're playing one, one facet of your personality, you feel like you've got a handle on. And when you're playing that role in your life, you think, yeah, I, I know how to do this. But then if you have to switch and, and have a different dynamic with someone suddenly you feel all at sea. I guess, um, you know, most people are different in different circumstances, whether it's work, friends, relationship or whatever. Funny how, like, Peter tries to do these wisecracks because, especially we're so used to in films, you know, things are written in a way that the lead actor is this kind of smooth-talking hero who comes up with these quips off the, off the cuff. 
um, like James Bond kind of stuff, and he tries it and just fails so miserably that that probably is quite relatable to to those people who who can't do that. So it sounds like I'm not one of those. Latest on the men, Jay. <laughs> That's right, Jobin. <laughs> and and if I don't see you, I will see you some other time. But it's, <laughs> I love those it's... bits so much. <laughs> and and they just seem so like you can see why he would be uncomfortable in that situation because he then tries to make small talk with Barry, who's just like I'm not fucking interested. <laughs> this, he is this like horrible boorish oaf. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, love him, <laughs> and, and isn't pleasant at all. <laughs> we should all be more Barry. <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> well, you're making me feel so. So I because those those little ticks that that Paul Rudd does in this movie, like City Slicker and Jobin and Latest on the Menje. I remember the first time seeing it in the cinema and I just love those bits. And it must have been because I deeply related to those bits. Whereas you're making me feel like that's weird. Like, no, why, not, why, not why, why would stumble up, anyone stumble over their words in that way? Why isn't everyone this Chandler Bing style <laughs> joke machine? No, but that's not that's that's him being socially awkward. Not well, no, but it's the it's, opposite. It's portrayed well, though. That's the thing. It's kind of it's <laughs> endearing, and yeah. you look at it and go, oh, you know, like everyone will have been in that scenario at some point, you know. Yes, and whether you're trying to join in a conversation halfway through, or you're trying to just make someone said something funny to you, and you're trying to reciprocate it, but of course, a lot of these things you can't just do. Or, that spontaneously mm. no well i think that's absolutely true and i think there may be another reason why those bits are so funny is because it's in a very very gentle way it's kind of sending up the, the tropes of hollywood movies because as you say you're used to people delivering very snappy witty remarks to each other and you're also used to things like people kind of going yeah so do you want to go out tomorrow night and the other person going yeah well i'll see you there and then you think they didn't actually say a time and or a place or they're just going to see each other there whereas in this one you have things like him going i will see you there i'll see you at another time (laughs) and sydney going that's really confusing. I don't know whether you're going to be there or not. And um, so it sort of has that thing of, of it's like Peter's trying to kind of behave a little bit as if he's in a movie. And mm. in real life, you just can't, you don't, you don't have the words. You don't, I mean, as, as one finds when one's recording a podcast, you, you imagine yourself to be much more off the cuff, witty and charming than you are. Well, if we ever get... Not to- you, me. <laughs> We ever get around to doing a live show and they'll think I'm smooth and they'll suddenly realise how much editing I do to make myself sound really funny. I want you to tell me, I think, because I think a big, a big theme in this movie is about what it is to be a man. And I want you to talk to me a bit about that because they have the bit about the shouting under the bridge and the man cave. And then it, and it culminates then in physical assault in the workplace <laughs> as part of Peter's liberation. He slaps someone across the face. Um, yeah, I think that all of that's kind of interesting. I don't think, I, I mean, in in these kind of ways, I don't know whether you, you would see this movie being made now, even though it's quite recent. It's only 13 years ago. I was thinking there are elements of this where now maybe people would think, oh, even if, even though you're doing it in a lighthearted way, are you are you steering a little bit too close to what we call toxic masculinity? What I, do you reckon? I think there are elements there that 
I think it's handled well enough here because it is gentle. Yeah. And it's not, you know, where he slaps the guy at work. I mean, that's it's difficult because when you're in the context of seeing what Will Smith did at the Oscars, yeah. it's yeah. Sudden, you know, suddenly slapping is, is very much on vogue. But it's <laughs> difficult when, because you expect, and a lot of guys will watch that and go, yeah, I'll fucking hit him right across the jaw and knock his teeth out. And yeah. it's an, in that situation, like, oh, God. I, uh, and he, as he says, I've never hit anyone. I didn't know what it'd be like. Um, yeah. yeah. But there's still the element there of he's trying to assert himself as a man, and that's why hitting another man. Yes. I mean, if it's a, in an 80s action film, of course, it's absolutely glorious. But, but in, in, in this scenario, and, and again, the sh- I mean, the shouting under a bridge thing is quite... It's probably quite cathartic. Yeah, I love that bit. Yeah. I think that I think the shouting is fantastic, and the whole the bass playing and all of and all of those things. I think there are lots of things that are great. I think that the slap. I don't think they need it. I think at that point in the movie, I always think like I don't think you needed. I don't. I don't. He. I don't think that Peter at this point he's made his point. I don't think he needs to stoop to the level of slapping a colleague. He could I don't have done he something do a bit more like. Like a jump, I mean, he did it afterwards as well, but that kind of like startling jump scare kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that would be, le- I mean, it's not physical anyway. It's still aggressive, but not in a a way that, I mean, he's not going to slap a female colleague, is he? Although the whole joke is that he gets on with all the women. Well, the, yes. Joke, the whole film. Um, yeah. It's a bit strange that like he has to become this version of himself to make himself more manly. Yeah, yeah, I I would I would have preferred if they hadn't have taken it that like ramped it up to that degree. I don't I don't I think I think it also just doesn't ring true. I think when he slaps him you kind of think, "Oh, I don't think that person would do that." You know, I just I don't think it's in his makeup. And that's one of the things that we like about this character is that he wouldn't slap someone across the face in the middle of a work day. It's just not something you do. And that's what's kind of great about him, you know. Yeah. Um, so He does look uncomfortable doing it. He does, he does. Mm. No, no, no. He's, uh, of course, it's Paul Rudd, so he plays it very well. But, um, mm. but yeah, the shouting, the shouting is probably something that everyone could do with doing a bit of, isn't it? So, yeah. I mean, some, yeah. some of us do it behind the wheel of a car. Some of it do it into a towel in the bathroom just to let out all the emotion and rage of the day. Are you talking about shouting? Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> you, yeah, I have a station for these. Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, so, uh, how about uh, Sydney as a character? Uh, how does he bring his love of his dog into this relationship, would you say, Rich, as a dog owner and lover yourself? Um, I, I think... It's kind of that relationship that we would all love. And I'd like to think I do with, with young Woodrow. He truly adores his dog. I mean, I do pick up after Woody because that's the right thing to do. Yes, but, um, completely. Yeah, it's, it's nice that you know he, he treats his, his dog properly and with respect. And if he had a man cave, I'd fully expect you know, the, the dog to have his own station. Not not that kind of station, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to think that Woody Woody is my best friend. I haven't named him after an African president, but um, I, I don't think if I was in the park and shouting Mugabe. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I mean, it's part of life, and he's he's wonderful company. Is 
my boy who's just looking at me like I've just said he's got eight heads. Oh no! Well, I think I think the the dog in the in the film and Sydney's relationship between them, I think, is uh, is a really is a really nice aspect of of Sydney's character. I also really like as a as a bit of a music geek. I'm not I'm I'm not knowledgeable about the band Rush at all, but I do like the way they bond over that um, love of a particular band, and they go and see them and they play their songs together I think all of that is a really nice way of using music in a film and and using the thing of fandom as something that people can you know really bond about as friends you know when you when the two of you really love a particular thing there can be so much joy derived from that can't there I think yeah fandom does get touched on in this and and yeah I think a lot of guys would bond over say guys people doesn't matter but that yeah. would bond and potentially form friendships about. I mean, again, this is quite a whistle-stop thing and it does go very quickly. But I think, you know, when you start working with people or when you start hanging out with people or meet through mutual friends, you know, you, you love the same... I think band is probably the best example because then it could be a casual thing where it's not necessarily a date. It's like, oh, well, you know, I've got an extra ticket if you want to go to this gig, you know. Ocean colour scene or playing the Camden Ballroom <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Um, and you do go along to these things and, you you know, it's a good way to get to know someone and that. And I think it's explored well. It's not as tribal as going to sport and, and music is a lot more open and, and the way that you experience yes. and enjoy it and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. I'm sure if I could find someone to go to more gigs with, That'd be, that'd be nice. Do you know the best night I've had in the last five years is a night that Zoe and I split a bottle of wine, we made a summer salad, and watched Chocolat together? You mean chocolate? Chocolat. Chocolate with Johnny Depp. Chocolat. You're not fucking French, Pete. It's called chocolate. No, I mean, I, I think that that whole bit is is really funny, the whole exchange between them where, you know, where their relationship is going awry and then he tells them about the best night that he's had in ages is sharing a salad with Zoe and watching a chocolate and um Sydney being so he just sneers at that and is very contemptuous of that and then how part of the resolution of the movie is the fact that he in his own time has gone and watched chocolate and is, is kind of on his own enjoyed a little bit of a sort of slushy relationship moment mm. and is sort of appreciating that and I think that's a really good it's a good little detail because some of these other things we've been talking about about you know how to be a man and Sydney bringing out Peter's masculinity and so it's really important to have that in the mix as well the thing of him having gone and enjoyed chocolat because even though it's really funny and it's a joke it's also a little kind of nod to the fact that the movie knows that the message isn't kind of yeah. Let's just all turn into complete meatheads. You know, we've got to we've got to be a kind of balance of these different aspects of ourselves, don't we? Yeah, but then the, the, we still have the Sydney where I think when Peter goes to his house and there's a woman leaving, <laughs> he says, "Yeah, she was nice looking. Yeah, I fucked her." And it's just so matter of fact about these things. That's the honesty paying off there. I think that that's the thing about Sydney. Actually, is that I think that considering all the stuff that we've talked about that Sydney does, whether it be shouting at strangers in the streets or not picking up after his dog, and make or making mortifying speeches at public events, on paper actually he's a terribly, terribly annoying character with kind of toxic traits, and I think it's 
kind of testament to the writing and also Jason Siegel in terms of how he delivers it all. The fact that we we're at the end of the movie, kind of rooting for their friendship, is quite a thing, isn't it? Really, it's yeah. testament to his charm and his charisma. It it would be easy to get this wrong. Very very easy. The romantic gesture in this film, I think, is more genuinely romantic than a lot of the big romantic gestures that we see in rom coms. I think that the thing of um, I think it's a lovely little twist. He asks for the loan of this money. You think, uh oh. Where's this going? And then the fact that he uses it to create this incredible, um, you know, marketing campaign of billboards, which are so sort of comic and ridiculous on the face of it, but so incredibly effective. I get, I don't know whether it's, you know, something about me or the experiences I have, but at that moment you can think, oh my God, that's genuinely a brilliant romantic gesture. Like it's just so on a practical level, really, really helpful. <laughs> it's like he's genuinely advanced his career. Exactly. And he's and he's made him feel so much more confident, which is so fantastic. So much more worthwhile than someone giving you a diamond ring. Imagine, he came and rewrote my CV. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> my hero. Modern day warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's time saw you mean, mean pride. Well, as we call for another order of fish tacos and erect a collection of provocative don't you want me billboards, we leave you with the question how do you make friends? I've been Rich. I've been Kat. And this has been Don't You Want Me. His mind is not for rent. Don't put him down as arrogant. His reserve quiet defense. Dragging out the day's events. Wow, that's a good one, bud. Oh, hey, check out these two. I call them Bowsers. It's my nickname for people who look just like their dog. Bowsers? Where'd you come up with that? Oh, that sounded right. Shit. Hey, geek! I just stepped in your dog's shit. Now I'm gonna make you eat it. <laughs> Peter Rock!